Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And today we return to our series through the book of Hebrews entitled, Jesus is Better. And as we prepare to dive into our text, one of the things that largely went away during the pandemic and is just now really beginning to come back is the movies. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but new releases are uh, beginning to make their way back into the theaters again. That's exciting. Not so much for the movies as for the popcorn. There's nothing like theater popcorn. Rachel and I don't watch a whole lot of movies in the theater, uh, maybe one or or two a year. Um, There's not a whole lot of movies that are very edifying these days, as we know. Um, I will say that on our first date back in high school, I was very romantic. I took Rachel to see the movie Anaconda. (laughs) And she'd be glad to tell you more about that. But that's another story for another time. For a lot of people, when we go to the movies, one of the things that we enjoy after we get our popcorn and drinks and before the main feature begins are the previews. And some of the previews are pretty good. Sometimes the previews are more entertaining than the main feature. And of course, the goal of the film company is that if they make the preview good enough and captivating enough that you'll say, oh man, I've got to see that movie when that comes out. When it comes to the Word of God, the the main feature, if you will, the, the main event, the climax of Holy Scripture is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' time on this earth is really the watershed event of human history. Even our very calendar measures time itself from either before or after Jesus' birth. Likewise, everything in Scripture either points toward Jesus, building the anticipation of his appearance, that would essentially be the Old Testament, right? Or it points back at Jesus saying, he has come, get right with him while you can and tell others because he's coming back again. That's the message of the New Testament. But if the life and death and resurrection of Jesus comprise the main event of scripture, what we see woven Into the story of the Old Testament in particular are previews of the main event to come. Theologians refer to those previews as shadows or types of Christ. Sometimes these shadows or types are objects, such as the snake that Moses lifted up on a pole, if you remember that story, and the people looked at it and were healed of their snake bites. That was a shadow of Jesus being lifted up on the cross and healing sinners. Sometimes these shadows or types are events, such as the Passover. When the Israelites spread the lamb's blood above their door and the angel of death passed over their house, that was a shadow of Christ's blood covering our sin and saving us from death and hell. Sometimes these shadows or types are people. Moses, for instance, was a type of Christ and that he mediated a covenant between God and man. Moses mediated the old covenant just as Jesus mediates the new. David was a type of Christ. 
and that the Lord divinely appointed him and established him as a king over Israel, empowering him to conquer all foes and reign from his throne in Jerusalem, just as Jesus will one day conquer his enemies and reign as king forever from a new Jerusalem. The Bible even says that Jonah was a type of Christ. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and nights, so Jesus spent three days in the grave in the bowels of the earth. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of what we mean when we talk about a shadow or a type of Christ from the Old Testament. We are, in essence, talking about a preview of Jesus. Well, today's text introduces us to one of the most intriguing types or previews of Jesus in all the Old Testament, a king and a priest named Melchizedek. What we learn from the mysterious figure Melchizedek is that Jesus is our great high priest and he is superior to any human priest. And that is the big idea of today's sermon. And I will warn you, today's sermon is gonna be pretty deep content, uh, pretty theological content, but we'll work through it together. And I think it's a good thing for us to be stretched a little bit sometimes. So are you ready to be stretched just a little bit. I hope so. Um, Get out your paper and pen, prepare to take lots of notes, and we'll trust the Lord to do a work in our heart as we make our way through this. So with that being said, let's begin reading our text. And we'll begin this morning by reading the text in its entirety. And so I would invite you to stand with me, if you would, in honor of the Word of God. And let's read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, is is that passage we just read clear to everyone? (laughs) We'll, We'll do the best we can. Now, As we've said, in the Old Testament, God gave certain shadows or types or previews of the coming Messiah. And Melchizedek, of whom we just read, was one such type. He was one such preview. Now, to better understand who exactly it is that we're talking about, I want to take just a moment to go back to the original source of where we're first introduced to this man. So if you would, keep your finger in Hebrews or a bookmark and just turn back briefly to Genesis chapter 14, and we're just going to read three verses very quickly. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. 
This is where we are introduced to Melchizedek. This is what it says. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him, speaking of Abraham, and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now, in that passage that we just read, Abraham had just won a great battle. Some bad guys came through and stole a bunch of Abraham's belongings and stole a bunch of his servants and even some of his family members. And Abraham's like, well, I can't let that go. So he gets a little army of about 300 men and gets them together and goes and gets his stuff back and defeats these kings. He gets his family members back as well. And as Abraham returns in victory to his hometown, this is where Melchizedek then enters the story in that passage that we just read, all right? So that's, that's the story that the writer of Hebrews is gonna be referring to in our text today. So everybody knows now what he's referring to. So let's go back to Hebrews now and return back to chapter seven and we'll begin to work our way through this passage. All right, in the first three verses of chapter seven, by my count, there are eight specific ways listed in which Melchizedek was a type or a preview of Christ. So let's just go through those quickly, okay? First of all, it says that Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Salem was ancient Jerusalem. We know that one day Jesus will reign as king from the new Jerusalem forever and ever. That's number one. Second, Melchizedek was called priest of the most high God. A priest is someone who mediates between God and man. We know that Jesus is our ultimate priest, reconciling us to God through his cross. In that way, Melchizedek was a preview of Christ. Third, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now, as the writer of Hebrews points out in verse 7, he says the lesser is blessed by the better. In other words, particularly in Bible times, you didn't pronounce a blessing on someone who was greater or higher than you. Uh, that would be arrogant. That would be out of line. It would be inappropriate. It was up to them, the person who was greater and higher than you, to bless you. And so by Melchizedek blessing Abraham, it proved that he was greater and higher than him. Now, think like a Hebrew. Think like a Jew for a moment. If you're a Hebrew or a Jewish person reading this letter, that right there really grabs your attention. Because no one in the Jewish person's mind is greater than Abraham other than God himself. In this way, Melchizedek is a preview of Jesus because clearly he was greater than Abraham. He blessed him, not the other way around. Fourth, Melchizedek received Abraham's tithe. We see this in verse two where it says that Abraham gave him a tenth part of all. And in verse four, where it says that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils of battle. In this way, Melchizedek is a preview of Jesus receiving the gifts and worship of his people. Now, on a side note, this is the first instance of tithing in all the Bible. Abraham came back with the spoils of war and gave a tenth of his increase to God's priest, Melchizedek. Sometimes people say that tithing uh, that giving a tenth of one's income to the Lord 
was strictly part of the Old Testament law and thus no longer relevant to New Testament Christians. And yet what we see here is an act of tithing that predates the law given to Moses by 400 years. So tithing isn't something that's just part of the Old Testament law. It is actually a biblical principle confirmed by Jesus in the New Testament that remains a worthy guide and a worthy goal for us today in our giving to the Lord. Fifth, at the end of verse two, Melchizedek is called the king of righteousness and peace. Now, he's already been called the king of Salem, but Salem is a form of the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. We know that Jesus is the ultimate king of righteousness, the ultimate king of peace. Sixth, verse three says that Melchizedek had, now this is where it gets really weird, okay? It says he had no earthly father nor mother, that he had no genealogy, And some commentators say, well, that just means there was no record of his parents. There was no record of his lineage. But I tend to side with those who say the reason there wasn't a record of his parents is because he didn't have any. I I believe that. That's my opinion. And if that's true, if that is indeed what's going on here, then Melchizedek's origins were supernatural. His origins were not of this world. Well, how is that a preview of Jesus? Well, Jesus too is supernatural, is he not? Jesus too is not of this world. Now, obviously, Jesus had an earthly mother in his incarnation. He was born to Mary. He was adopted, for lack of a better term, by Joseph. And certainly, he had an earthly lineage through them. But ultimately, we know that Jesus has always been. Yes, he stepped into humanity for a season, but there was never a point in time When Jesus came into existence, Jesus has always existed from eternity past. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the fact that this guy, Melchizedek, just shows up in the Old Testament, and no one really knows where he came from, no one really knows who his people are, suggests that he may have come from heaven and not earth, just like Jesus Now, there's a lot we could chew on there, but we're going to keep moving, okay? Seventh, verse three says that Melchizedek had neither beginning of days nor end of life. How is that a preview of Jesus? Well, as we've already said, we know that Jesus has no beginning and we know that he has no end. He is God. He is eternal. So I hope that you're beginning to see There's something unusual about this man, Melchizedek. He is like Jesus. He is a preview of Jesus in many ways. Eighth, and finally, verse three says that Melchizedek, made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And the key word there, and a word that I think is very important to understanding who Melchizedek is, is that word continually. Melchizedek was not only a priest and a king during his time on earth, but it says he remains a priest, remains, present tense, remains a priest continually. In other words, if I'm reading that correctly, he is still a priest to this day. His priesthood never ended. This is an obvious and important shadow of Christ, for it is Jesus who remains our high priest to this day sitting at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. 
according to Romans chapter 8. And this is why verse 3 says that Melchizedek is like the Son of God. All right, each of these eight similarities between Melchizedek and Jesus demonstrate how Melchizedek was indeed a powerful preview of the Messiah. Some of you may be wondering the same question that I am, which I've already hinted at. Was Melchizedek merely a preview of Jesus? Was he merely a shadow or a type? Or was he something more? Could it be that the Old Testament figure of Melchizedek, uh, the king of peace and righteousness, the one to whom Abraham paid his tithes, the one who has no genealogy, the one who has no beginning and no end, the one who remains a priest, could it be that Melchizedek was actually the pre-incarnate Christ, an appearance of Jesus thousands of years before his birth? This is an issue, as you might imagine, Bible scholars just love to debate this. Was Melchizedek merely a type of Christ or was he actually Jesus himself? What theologians call a Christophany, Jesus appearing as a person prior to his birth. And as I've told you, my own opinion based on the text is that Melchizedek was indeed an appearance, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. But there are highly respected Bible scholars and teachers, and maybe some of you who have studied this previously, who believe that Melchizedek was merely a human priest who was a Christ-like figure. Whatever your position on that, or probably most of you don't really have a position on that, the one thing that we can all agree on and need to understand is that Melchizedek was, at the very least, a preview of Jesus. He was a shadow or a type of Christ. Now, since we've established that fact, I suppose the next obvious question is, why does any of this matter? Why is any of this important to our faith today? Well, we'll get to that here in a moment, but first, I want us to climb inside the writer of Hebrews' head for just a moment. Why is he making this comparison between Melchizedek, this obscure figure who appears in three verses in the Old Testament, why, why is he even making the reference? Why is he making the comparison between Melchizedek and Jesus in the first place? What's his point? What's he trying to accomplish with this? Well, remember that the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who are of Jewish descent, hence the title of the book, Hebrews. And because they are of Jewish or Hebrew descent, there may have been a tendency to want to return to the old ways, the old covenant that God established with the Jewish people, which relied on human priests making animal sacrifices to atone for the people's sins. And let's just pause there and say this, isn't that our nature at times? Instead of moving forward into the future and embracing the new and, and better things that God has for us, we prefer to go back to the old things because they're familiar and they're comfortable. Even the Jewish people, as they wandered through the wilderness, multiple times said, can we just go back to Egypt? Like, at least we had food there, you know? We always like to go back. We look back. And so the writer of Hebrews sees this tendency in his readers wanting to go backward perhaps even wanting to go back to the sacrificial system and, 
and using human priests again. And so what he's doing here is trying to get their attention to say, no, don't do that. Don't, don't go backward to the old ways. Go forward. Jesus is better. He's better than any human priest. You don't need those guys anymore. You have Jesus now. He's better than that old system. And the story that he uses to drive home this point is the story of Melchizedek. Now, if you're struggling to make the connection, how does the story of Melchizedek prove that Jesus is a better high priest than any human priest? Well, here it is. Here are the dots to connect. We're going to go through the author's logic in this passage. All right? This is where you're really going to have to lean in and listen carefully, or else you're going to get completely lost. But I'll try to do the best I can, all right? Here's his logic. Here's, here's the point that he's making. We're going to group this into six points, maybe seven. I think it's seven. Point number one. I promise I won't add any more. Point number one, very simply, Melchizedek was a preview of Jesus. He was a type of Christ, if not Jesus himself. We've established that, right? That's point number one. Point number two, I apologize. Some of you are writing and I don't have time to wait on you to finish. Point number two, Melchizedek as a type of Christ was greater than Abraham. We've also established that. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, not vice versa. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, not vice versa. All right? So Melchizedek was a preview of Jesus. He was greater than Abraham. Now, here's his logic. Point number three. If Melchizedek was a preview of Jesus and Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, then it follows that Jesus himself is greater than than Abraham's descendants. Are you with me? One more time. If Melchizedek was a preview of Jesus and he was greater than Abraham, then it follows that Jesus himself is greater than the descendants of Abraham. Do you see that logic? Do you see how that makes sense? Okay. I can give you the notes later. I'll print them off for you if you want them, but we need to keep moving. Point number four. Among the descendants of Abraham were the Levites. They are mentioned there in verse 5. The Levites were the Jewish tribe from which all of the human priests came. You could not be a priest in Israel unless you were from the tribe of Levi. Verse 5 also points out that according to the Old Testament law, the people were to bring their tithes to the Levites. All right? But here's where it gets interesting. Point number 5. Verse 9 says that the Levites paid tithes to Melchizedek. Well, wait a second. Abraham came centuries before the Levites. The Levites weren't even a thing when Abraham was alive. The Old Testament law and the whole priestly system wouldn't be even around for another 500 years or so when Abraham paid his tithes to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. So what in the world does the writer of Hebrews mean when he says that the Levites paid their tithes to Melchizedek? They, they didn't overlap at all. Well, he tells us what he means by that in verse 10. They paid tithes to Melchizedek through their ancestor, Abraham. In fact, verse 10 says the Levites were in Abraham's loins when he paid his tithe 
to Melchizedek. So here's how all of that comes together. Point number six. When Abraham paid his tithe to Melchizedek, the Old Testament figure of Christ, it was in essence the Levites, the human priests of the Old Testament, paying their tithe to Jesus. Because Melchizedek represented Jesus. Abraham represented the Levites. And so in essence, it was the Levites paying their tithe to Jesus. Thus, final point, point seven, Jesus is greater than the Levites. Through the interaction of Abraham and Melchizedek, the Levites paid their tithe to Jesus, not vice versa. Therefore, if Jesus is greater than the Levites and superior to them, then the people should look to Jesus as their high priest and not the Levites, not the human priests. Now, I'm exhausted after that. And I know you've got to be exhausted listening to that. But hopefully it somewhat makes sense. I want to turn now to applying this text to our lives today. We said earlier we would answer the question, why does any of this matter to me? Why does any of this matter to my life today, to my faith? Well, I'm going to give you one primary application from this passage and then three secondary applications and then we'll be done. All right? The primary application of this text is this, and really it's the author's whole point. Jesus is our great high priest. We don't need a human priest. We should never, ever go back to that. And this, by the way, is not just a Bible times issue. This is relevant for our time today. There are still prominent religions in the world today that teach that we need human priests to mediate between us and God. And it's simply not so. Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus reconciles us to God. And if we call on the name of Jesus, we will be saved. Aren't you glad about that? He's our priest. Now, that's the primary application. That's, that's the main point of this passage. Let's look at three secondary applications. First, if Jesus is a better priest than the Levites then by extension, the covenant that he instituted, the new covenant, salvation by grace through faith, is better than the covenant that the Levites administered, the old covenant, the law. Now, the law has its place. The law is very important. It's crucial to our faith, to understanding who God is. But the Bible clearly says that the new covenant is better than the old and we'll talk more about that next week. But for today, let it suffice to say we cannot be saved by following the old covenant. We cannot be saved by following the law. We cannot be saved by being a good person. None of us are good enough. We must put our faith in Jesus. Second, just as Abraham paid tribute to Melchizedek, we must pay tribute to Jesus. Melchizedek represented Christ in the Old Testament. And so we should pay tribute to Jesus, not just with our tithes like Abraham did, although that's very important, but with our time, with our talents as well. Jesus is worthy of all that we have to offer. He's worthy of our very life. I would ask you this morning, 
Are you giving Jesus your first and best? And if you're not, what changes do you need to make to put Jesus where he belongs in your life? When Abraham came back victorious in a victory parade back to his hometown, the first thing he did was tithe of what God had given him to God's priest. Okay, What are we giving to Jesus? Are we giving him our first and best? Tithes, time, talents. Third, we are reminded in this passage not to return to the old ways, not to return to the old life, not to look backward at what used to be, but to look forward, to keep our eyes on Jesus and to follow him. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling his readers. Don't look back at the Old Testament priestly system. You don't need those human priests anymore. I know that's what you're used to. I know that's what you were raised with. I know that's what you're comfortable with, but it's time to look forward. It's time to put your eyes on Jesus and trust him for your future. And we need to learn that lesson as well. What it all boils down to, whether it's this passage that we've looked at this morning, the book of Hebrews as a whole, and really the entire Bible, what it all boils down to is that Jesus is better. He's a better mediator than Moses. He's a better priest than the Levites. And he's better than anything that this world has to offer. So let me ask you this this morning. Do you know Jesus? Has there been a time in your life when you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever cried out to him and called upon his name and said, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died on the cross and rose again for my sin. Please come into my heart and save me. I give my life to you. If you've never called on Jesus in that way, you can do that today. You can do that in your heart, right where you are, this very moment. And if you're ready to follow Jesus, the Bible says that we're not supposed to keep that a secret. We're supposed to give testimony of our faith and not be ashamed of him. So if you're here this morning and you've made a commitment to follow Christ already, or if you're wanting to make that commitment right here and right now, we're gonna have a song here in just a moment. I'm gonna be standing right down here. And I would ask you just to walk to the front as a sign that you're not ashamed of Jesus and that you want to follow him and together we'll let everyone know that you're making a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you need to give public testimony of your faith through baptism, you've never done that. If you're here this morning and you want to unite with this church in membership as we serve our Lord Jesus, if you're here and you just wanna come and pray, all those things are what this time is for. I'm gonna ask Brandon and our musicians if they would, to come to the platform and we're gonna have a song of response this morning. If you have any public decision at all that you need to make, we'd invite you to do that right now. Let's stand and we're gonna sing. We're gonna have our song of response. You see the words there on the screen. And if you need to come, you come.